listening to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today we have two guests, Carla Christie and Carolina Zagel. Carla is a marine biologist who is very passionate about marine education. She is particularly interested in spreading the word about the existence of the Chilean dolphin. Carla lives in Belveda, southern Chile, where she coordinates science outreach activities at the science faculty at Universidad Austral de Chile. She has her master's in science communications and is currently earning a PhD in communications. Carolina is a marine biologist and qualified teacher with a PhD in experimental ecology and a master's degree in education. After more than 20 years working at universities, environmental organizations, and schools in Australia and Chile, Carolina created and founded Fondacion Oceafera, which translates as Ocean Fear Foundation, a nonprofit with a mission to educate and inspire people, especially children, to care for, respect, and conserve our oceans and their biodiversity. Ladies, thank you so much for your willingness to be on our podcast today. And um, sounds like you're doing a lot of really great work within the Oce- oceanic sciences. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became involved in that? Carla, you're the most experienced science communicator. You go first. <laughs> well, um, I think I well, I begin uh, loving the ocean since I was very young. I live close to the coast. And that makes me uh, very close to the ocean, always very related. Um, And then I studied uh, marine biology in southern Chile. And my main passion was to to know more about the cetaceans, especially dolphins. So that's why I get into into science communication and into research and study marine science. And my experience is similar to Carla, but I was actually in fifth grade. I was probably about nine years old and we had to do a presentation, an oral presentation called The Great Brain. And I chose to do mine on fish, the diversity of fish. And I looked at a lot of books and I looked at Jacques Cousteau's TV program. (laughs) <laughs> and I hadn't been to the ocean much, uh, but I decided that I wanted to, st- to study fish. And I, and I found out that if you wanted to study fish, you had to become an ichthyologist. And then I realized that that wasn't a profession that I could study at university. <laughs> I decided then at a very young age that I wanted to be a marine biologist. And then, of course, I did have the chance to go to the beach. And I was always very curious and always in nature. Um but yeah, that's when I decided at a very young age and it was fixed in my mind and nothing uh, would ever change that, basically. I, it was set in my mind. Yeah, that's really cool. Thing. Yeah. And yeah, about that's... maybe 10 years old, I, I knew what I want. And that's very uh, uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, it's, it's, it's cool that you, that, that you mentioned Jacques because he was, he was one of my heroes growing up. Um, and so because of him, I always, always wanted to dive. And so I, so I owe all of my passion for diving and, and for the ocean towards him. Carla, you were, you were sharing about your, about your passion for the, um, Chilean dolphin. Um, what are some, what are some unique things about the dolphins and why our audience needs to be concerned? 
Yeah, I realized about the existence of the Chilean dolphins on, in my first year at the university. I hear uh, a talk, um, some uh, marine biology students were giving a talk, and then I knew that the Chilean dolphin exists. And then I tried to look for how I could get involved uh, in research um, about this Chilean dolphin. And the main, the, the special thing about this species is that it is a Chilean, only Chilean, it is endemic, it lives only in Chile, but nobody knows about it. So my main uh, objective or target in life is that uh, Chileans know about this species. Uh, because you need, to, you need to know something to love it and to take care about it. So um, uh, it is special because uh, it's endemic and there's only a few, uh, less than, probably less than 2,000 uh, wow. individuals, like uh, numbers. The wow. population is very, very low. And it also, it, it doesn't live uh, all along the coast uh, from Chile, but maybe half, half Chile. And it lives in special places, like uh, huh. concentrate in some areas. And it's very specific in the places where they live. So if you damage the, the place where they live, you damage the, the species. So uh, I'm interested that people know about the existence because it, it can probably disappear and nobody will know about it. Mm. Well, so, so there's, um, so how, how, how are their habitats being um, taken over? Uh, they live very close to the coast. They prefer to live uh, in between uh, 100 meters from the coast. Oh, wow. Yes, very, very close to the shore. Mm. So they, they prefer maybe 20 or 30 meters from the coast. So they use the same habitat uh, that uh, aquaculture use. So they uh, uh, fish farms and mussels farms. Oh, wow. So they overlap the distribution of the dolphins and the places where the aquaculture is uh, set. And also, they have problems with the uh, fishing uh, nets, mm -hmm. um, like uh, artisanal fishing nets. Wow. What types of things are they doing to conserve or to like rehabilitate that population? Um, there's not a program from the government yet. Mm. So there's... The, the, the first study or research of uh, Chilean dolphins to know the population is, is going on now. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's very, the, the Chilean government is very uh, passive or it's very new that they care about this species. It's not the, like, like in New Zealand, we have the, the same uh, family of this dolphin. And they have uh, conservation plans since many years ago, like 20 or 30 years ago. But in Chile, it's very, very new. So we are beginning to, to care about it. Can you, can you also share what, what, type of, what type of outreaches that you're, that you're doing? Um, 
not 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 only with the general public but for but for students in general for students um i work at the university universidad austral de chile in valdivia southern chile and i work in science outreach of the science faculty uh, and i try to make a link between people and like the general community and scientists. So I organize uh, science fairs, um, visits, visits to the labs, um, um, I, sorry, um, like- uh, Science cafes. Science cafes, school research uh, guided by the scientists, many different activities. So I try to help the scientists to make the connection with uh, the people and especially with uh, students, with uh, school students. Can you talk a little bit about um, science cafes? Yeah. Um, I have been doing the science cafe that we call um, Encuentros Conciencia, like uh, science encounters. Um uh, we make it uh, in a restaurant. It's a free meeting where you can have a coffee or a beer and hear about any different uh, kind of uh, types of uh, or information about science. So you hear about uh, neuro neurobiology and you are having a beer and sharing with some friends or with family. Uh, and it's a more relaxed, uh, relaxed place to to feel uh, comfortable to ask. So it's not for scientists, it's for common people that just want to know a little bit more about science. That sounds and, fun. And is share that... their experience. That's cool. Yeah, and are you getting good? I mean, I guess probably now you're not doing that as frequently <laughs> with the current situation, but do you get a lot of people participating? In yes, that? I do. Uh, uh, we organize uh, the science cafes uh, once per month. And we have, in average, 80 people. And wow. uh, the maximum that we have is more than 150. Hmm. And the minimum is 40 or 50 people. So it's it's good because I feel very good because uh, people go uh, to an activity because they want to and it's free. And we don't offer free things. <laughs> yeah. They go because they want. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we can get some beers or coffee to share, mm -hmm. but they just go because they want to hear about science and mm -hmm. share their, their their knowledge or their. Some people have a cultural knowledge or some information that they know from life, not from the university. So they just want to share it. Mm -hmm. So, Carolina, are you involved in these projects with Carla, or can you tell us about some of the outreach stuff with students that you might be doing? Um, so, I um, I do. I have collaborated with Carla, and Carla has uh, collaborated with me. Carla and I and another friend, um, we founded a foundation of marine science education and conservation called Fundación Oceanosfera, with uh, which translates as Ocean Sphere Foundation. And um, we do marine education activities and workshops. And Carla, as part of her outreach work for the university, participates in those activities. And the university has named me a adjunct professor 
so that I can use uh, some of their spaces. Uh, the university has a coastal lab called Galpugo Lab, and they receive a lot of visitors, especially students uh, that like to visit the lab. And so we are trying to create a program of marine education at the lab. Um, and the idea is to bring um, people in general, especially young people, closer to the ocean and do environmental education there on site uh, where they can um, see live animals and get to know them. And uh, sometimes they can also see marine mammals on the shore. And Gadla has, um, has designed some life-size models of uh, dolphins, wow. uh, which are very popular because then the students can measure themselves against them. So the animals mm. that we can't bring into the lab or have <laughs> in aquariums, they can right. they can get in touch with. And um, and so it's mostly hands-on experiential activities um, that we are uh, doing, and uh, in, in collaboration with the university and with some other NGOs where we also volunteer for, like ONG uh, Alerse. Yeah, um, um, I, I know on on video people can't see it, but but Carolina, right right behind you, there's there's something up on your wall that I um, I hope you don't mind. I was like looking on your Facebook page. I was looking. I was checking you out. <laughs> you were doing stuff. research. Yes, research I was doing our, research. On our yes, interview. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you can you talk about what's 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 hanging on your on your wall? Sure. So one of the challenges that we've always faced since we were students is that we didn't really have any any books or guides so that we could recognize animals off our coasts. And um, so since we were students, actually when we were students, there, was, there wasn't really anything that we could study from. And so when I was a student with a friend, we did a, a guide to identify marine invertebrates with Southern Studio, which was very popular. Wow. And it had, but it had scientific text because we made it for us to get to know the animals. And so this time we wanted to do something practical, which was inclusive of all ages. And so we did a sort of brochure uh, to identify marine animals of southern Chile. And there's a hundred animals, the most common ones that you, know, you can find off our coasts. And there's a photo and a, and um, the name, size, and a tick box. And so it's the idea was that it would be a treasure hunt. Uh, for oh. people that go to the coast and you can take off the animals that you've seen. And when students go and vid um, visit the coastal lab, they see many of the animals in the guide, they can tick them off. They have, um, it's an educational resource when you visit a place, if you take something home with you, you often remember what you learned more too. And then the homework is, you know, continue to look out for these animals. And once you get to know them, then you, as Garla said, you're you're more uh, motivated to to protect them and their habitat if you know how special they are and how important uh, each species is. So we did that at the end of last year, and it's been very popular. We printed five thousand copies, and we also have a have a digital version which some friends have put up on their website, uh, so it can be downloaded. And we've had a lot of positive feedback. We've used it in in several of our workshops so far. How does someone find the digital and, uh, copy? The, the general public has become engaged. What's that? Oh, I said, how does someone find the digital copy if they wanted to go and try to find it? Um, so um, right now we have published a link through our Facebook uh, site. Um, I can't remember the name of the link right now because it's from an algae lab. So someone or we we want to have a website, but we haven't created one yet. Okay. And so some friends put it up on their website in the meantime. We'll get you. But it's we'll, on, you can find it in, in Oceanosphere 
uh, fan page from Facebook. Yeah. Say that one more time, please. You can find the, the, the brochure to download uh, from uh, Oceanosfera uh, fan page from okay. uh, Facebook. Yeah, so the only way we could uh, put it up for download was creating a group on Facebook, and there is also a link that someone posted uh, that we've shared on Facebook. And Oceanosfera is spelled ocean, and then an O-S-F-E-R-A. Oceanosfera is how you say it in English. <laughs> Thanks. I was going to look it up and then provide it for people at the end, but I'm glad that you for us spelled that out for us. For English us. English people. Um, that's that <laughs> sounds really oh, yeah. great. So that um, spans across all age groups, then, like even adults who might. That just was be the interested. idea, yeah, to, to try and um, and um, and make it as inclusive inclusive as possible. <clears throat> That's really cool. It, it it sounds like then that one of these years, um, my my nonprofit kids need to come down and visit and learn more. So for sure, I'm always looking for places to travel. And since <laughs> you're all invited, since there's diving, <laughs> come and that's, visit truly. And the Marilla <laughs> have a have a place to stay. Just to, to stay. Oh. Where- so you can stay with a group of students. Oh, oh that that's even better. Great. That sounds like a really good opportunity. <laughs> um, Carla, you were you were recognized by the by the U.S. Embassy as one of the female STEM leaders. Can you can you tell us about how how this came came to be? Uh, I don't know. It is very. I'm very lucky <laughs> because I. Uh, because of my work uh, in science outreach uh, from the university, I, I met someone from the U.S. Embassy, and they invite people that they know, um, that they know how they work, what they are doing with the communities. And I kind of applied for this, um, for this program, and they choose me probably because of the work that I have been doing for many years with the students, with school students and with the community and with the science outreach of this um, Chilean dolphin. Um, so yeah, I was very lucky. Probably there's many people that deserve to be there, uh, but I was uh, very lucky and fortunate to be there and share. We were 50 women from the world Wow. from different countries. So we learned about a U.S. experience in STEM, in science, technology, engineering, and math, and how they teach STEM in schools and the university. That was the main, the most important for me because we visit other laboratories and places uh, with a lot of uh, technology, but the most important for me was to know the experience in in Florida um, uh, about uh, the university and a school uh, that practice uh, STEM, uh, STEM teaching or this uh, uh, type of, of uh, of learning, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math uh, all together. And the other uh, special thing of this program was to know all these women from the world yeah. and to learn uh, the issues, uh, problems, or 
and also how how they learn and work together and give a hand uh, to to go further like a woman in science in i don't know there's a, a big difference in cities and mm. more developed and less developed like i don't know uh, in india or uh, germany or many different places around the world so it was a very nice experience to know all these women from the from the world that's that's really cool um what very what, unique what are what were some of the things that that came came from that ex experience of of interacting with 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 all these women uh it was mainly to empower women to do more things in in their own countries and also there's uh funding programs where we can apply to work together uh, from different um countries like i have a friend from egypt that uh, do the same work in science outreach from the university so we are talking to maybe do a, a apply for a fundings to work together or with friends from uh, south korea or other places so they try to just empower women to teach what um, us experience have uh, for many years so we can learn from from the experience, but also to learn from the other um, women from the world and make uh, networks. Wow. How long ago That's... was that opportunity? Sorry. Uh, how long ago did you have that opportunity? It was in two thousand and seventeen. Okay. So are you still in contact with some of those ladies? Yes, we are. Yeah. <laughs> we are always in contact. We have a group, uh, like a WhatsApp group. Mm -hmm. We are in contact with Facebook. And um, some of us are working together and we get more, more in touch, depending on, on the uh, area of, of study. Like mm -hmm. there's some ast astronomist or from different areas. So Wow. Yes. Well, I would, you know, one of my first first thoughts was what a what a great opportunity not not only for all of you, but what a great opportunity for for young 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 women just to you know just to maybe get in get in contact with with all of you. Um, yeah, you know, because and also the, the idea is to spread the word. Like we try to to inspire other uh, young uh, women girls. Uh, and, and, and other women, not only girls, but to, because uh, there's so much difference in different countries. Uh, yeah. With um, uh, it's hard to explain, <laughs> but you you understand. Uh, so we we try to inspire others uh, with our experience. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So Carolina, you were um, teaching in several different universities around the world. Uh, what what made you leave that area of education and move into the nonprofit sector, um, and then your work with Ocean Sphere Foundation? Um, well, I have worked mainly in Chile and Australia, okay. <laughs> around the world. But it is it is for us. <laughs> when I was seventeen, I did take a course in in Stanford at uh, Hopkins Marine Station, so that maybe that goes a bit more around the world. Wow, that's... <laughs> Northern Hemisphere. 
But yes, after about 20 years uh, where I have been volunteering for uh, environmental organizations, I have worked at universities and I have studied a lot and I have also worked in schools as a teacher. Um, I realized I have always been very passionate about the environment and protecting our, our environment. And I realized that the best way to get people motivated into protecting our environment is to actually be in nature. And, um, and this has been known for a long time, but, uh, the, uh, but this is something that I have learned through my experience and through the, the experience of my students, that when they are in nature and they have a magical moment perhaps in nature where they see a very special animal, yeah. um, they are more motivated and passionate about protecting that habitat and protecting the animal. And so uh, I have worked as a marine biologist and I have worked as a teacher and I have always had the dream of combining my passion and love for the marine environment and uh, teaching. And so as my personal goal, uh, the foundation was to, to create this marine education program because it's, it's combining both my areas of expertise. And it's an, an area which in Chile doesn't really exist in a, in a formal level. Uh, in other parts of the world, it is part of the curriculum in schools, but here it isn't. And so I say, well, let's just give it a shot. So I decided to resign because when I work, I become very committed to my work and I dedicate myself 100% and, and uh, create this foundation in order to apply for funds and look for collaboration. And that's the idea. The idea is, is to bring the children closer to the ocean. Uh, our program now has been basically with marine based mainly on marine education and creating educational material because we don't have material that we can work from. So we've had to do that. Uh, but in the future, we also want to ha have recreational activities as part of our program. My dream is that we can offer scholarships for children to learn how to surf, learn how to dive or go and see kayaking and hopefully have some of these magical experiences. Wow. Um, we believe that education, art, sport, um, and a, and a, and a outdoor culture is also important and to get to know our, our patrimony. Um, and that's sort of all into the program. But this year, our focus is on endangered marine species. Uh, we have realized that uh, it's an area um, where there isn't much knowledge in the general community. We have a lot of species that are endangered and have been recognized by the IUCN and by the local authorities and are protected by law, such as the Chilean dolphin, which is protected by law. But many people don't know that it's protected and, uh, and these laws are not being enforced. And so we think that if the laws aren't being enforced, uh, then perhaps the community has to be in charge of, uh, of uh, doing this and being proactive uh, as in citizen science uh, uh, projects. Uh, so, for example, animals like the chicken dolphin are still hunted and used as bait. Wow. wow. Uh, and it is an animal that is protected by national and international laws. Hmm. Um, and so our objective is the marine, uh, the educational material we want to do this year is a, as a guide, like the one we already did, of 100 endangered uh, species of southern Chile and, uh, and that are protected by law, which includes all cetaceans and sea otters, uh, sea lions, and many uh, birds also, some marine invertebrates. And, uh, and that's something that we want to get out and combine it with workshops and hopefully uh, outdoor activities too. So we're, 
we're applying for some funding through projects, but the, uh, but that work is already on the way. We have some secured some uh, funding from donations so far, and so that's our next project. And because of the quarantine um, situation right now, it, uh, we're working from home, applying for for funding and and working on these um, educational materials. So, who's your primary audience this? for this? <laughs> This, Pardon me? Um, who's your primary audience for this educational material? Um, so it's mostly young people, mm-hmm. so uh, school students. Uh, all the last year we also did some work. Uh, well, actually it was the beginning of this year. We did some workshops for teachers. And we also did a workshop for the children with um, disabilities. Uh, but in, the, in that opportunity, we brought the ocean into um their institution uh, because it was a little bit complicated to transport uh, students and bathroom facilities with a limitation. But wow. we're hoping that one day we'll be able to bring children with disabilities or with serious physical disabilities to the ocean to also. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Yeah, you're doing everything that I want to do here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really cool. So, so I mean, you were, you've, you've been talking about a lot of the both of you have been talking about the types of programs that 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 you're providing. What are some questions that you find younger students asking you about about your own work? Um, when we've been doing the workshops, students are usually very curious about the practical aspects. So they, whenever you talk about diving, they, they get very enthusiastic about learning about the equipment and what does it feel like when you're underwater and have you ever seen a shark? Sharks are always... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's always the question, right? Always, <laughs> always interesting. Uh, in one of our workshops, we were talking about, we were asking students about what adaptations we as mammals need to... Um, to be able to go into the ocean. So basically we're looking at marine mammal adaptations to live and what, what we'd have to use in order to live in the ocean. And so we brought out uh, a wetsuit and different bits of equipment. So as the students answered questions like, oh, I needed something to keep warm or something to breathe underwater, we'd yeah. bring out pieces of equipment. And they love trying the equipment on. Uh, and the... Um, and questions sort of like, well, what do you do when you're in a boat? Are you diving and you need to go to the toilet? So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And um, I think also the girls, uh, it's usually when we give these talks, it's mostly women. It's uh, our, our foundation is, has, was founded by three marine biologists and we're all women. And, and, and I think sometimes they're very shy at asking questions. And then they, when they see that we're, confident and tell them about our professions they they also become more confident but yeah dolphins whales uh, sharks and marine turtles seem to be the most popular subject mm. in my experience that's cool that is super cool uh so both of you have worked in project and problem-based learning based on how, what you're telling us about um your passions here with uh your work with kids and um designing this curriculum what is what are the obstacles that you might run into with working with young students? If you've had any, or if any that you're trying to overcome at the moment, I think one of the of the problems or the issues is that um, education in Chile is very 
different uh, in public school schools than in uh, private schools. And also there's a big difference with rural schools. We have many rural schools uh, in the marine lab where Carolina was, was talking about the laboratory, uh, Calcuco laboratory. Uh, we are uh, about 40 minutes from the, from the city and the schools around are all um, school, uh, rural schools. So they work with one teacher and maybe five students some schools have two students, others have 20. Uh, so there's a big difference, and you can notice the difference uh, in, in knowledge um, from uh, public schools, rural schools, and um, how do you say, uh, municipal? <laughs> municipal schools or state schools. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, of course, uh, rural schools uh, they they are they have a lot of knowledge and they are close to the ocean because they live uh, by the ocean, so they they know they have more knowledge about it. But there's a difference in in other areas and also um, teachers. So I think that's one of the one issue that I that I can yeah uh, mm. Yeah, the main issue, I think I would, um, well, before saying issues, actually working with young people is incredibly rewarding. They're always very enthusiastic. They have this thirst to learn. They're always really grateful and happy to be uh, near the coast or in the lab. It's, a, it's, like, an, it's like going out on a field trip for them. Mm -hmm. So they're always very energetic, uh, very knowledgeable, very willing to share their knowledge and very um, enthusiastic and motivated. So it's really great working with them. Um, I think the main obstacle that I would um, add to Carla's uh, uh, is that, uh, well, there is a big difference in the amount of knowledge these students have, depending on what schools they come from and what areas they come from. But I think that in order to create a, a real impact on students' learning, you have to be able to spend a lot of time with these kids and uh, and offer some continuity. So usually these kinds of programs, if they run on the long term for about five years, where you have a group of students and you and you consistently bring them through these programs for at least five years, the impact is, is much greater. And we usually just get uh, short visits, three hour visits, sometimes mm. a 45 minute visit, where we have to adapt the activities to the amount of time the school's uh, visits us. And, and we don't have a lot of continuity in, in, in the same group of kids as they go up grade levels. So I think um, our biggest obstacle is time and resources, because obviously the, the schools need to bring the kids on with their own transport because of insurance reasons. Ah. And so we often don't get the same group of students coming through our program. So I'd like us to be able to invest in a long-term program and hopefully for uh, environmental education to be part of the school curricular, curriculum. Um, and so we, then we would have that continuity. Yeah, that would be really good, but also probably just difficult because you would need the buy-in at the administrative level rather than it seems like what you're saying is at the teacher level who are bringing their students out. But I guess that's where it grows, right? So the teachers can rave about how great the program is and then bring it right. back to their school and hopefully get that but I could see that how you want to build on that knowledge that they're gaining from those experiences each year 
Especially yeah, for and having... also would help us to to evaluate. Sorry, it would also help us to evaluate whether our program is working, which is one of yeah. another obstacle. Is how do we evaluate our impact uh, if learning is taking place and if they're actually becoming more uh, um, involved in protecting our marine environment? Yeah, correct. You know, and one of the <clears throat> one of the people that we that we had on on a previous podcast, Nancy. Um, if you if you go back and then if if you if you check her out, she's um, she does a lot of marine types of types of programs here within within the state of California, um, and and how she connects with with schools is that she she actually has grants in order to have uh, middle school and high school students actually grow um, abalone within their within their within their classrooms. Um, and so they're basically in, in, in charge of it. And, and a lot of these kids have, have never been to the, to the beach. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And so, in fact, now she's, now, now she's trying to get permission in order to plant, gosh, like over 5,000 abalone back, back into the, um, you know, into their natural, natural habitat. So, yeah, I, I, I get it because once the, once, once the kids leave you, you know, how, how can we continue that passion? Um, yeah. you know, and, and that's, and that's, that's wonderful. Um, you, you alluded to this a, a little bit, Carolina, how, how has the current world world events, um, coronavirus, um, in, 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 in impacted all of your work? Um, you know, and how, how do you think this is, this is going to change what you're, what, what you're going to be doing? Yeah. So we've had to cancel all of our school visits uh, to the lab. So the outdoor education component of being outdoors with the kids, uh, all of that has been canceled. Um, so basically now we're just focusing on, on, on acquiring funding and producing educational materials, um, Right now, the, uh, <laughs> we have this foundation, but I, uh, myself, uh, Carla and Consuelo are the three people behind this. And uh, Carla works full-time for the university, and she's also a PhD student. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I work only for the foundation, but uh, part-time because I'm also a mother, and now we have to do homeschooling. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. So basically, it's sort of like a half-time job. So there's not many people working in this, but mm-hmm. the people that, the, but those of us that are in it are very passionate, very motivated. But it's basically it just us at the moment, and uh, and the volunteers that come out with us when we have activities. Uh, I must say though that the um, the materials that we have produced, the educational materials that we have produced, have been a collaborative effort with people working on a voluntary level to provide photographs and, and check the text and, and these kind of things. So, so there's always good people out there um, that help you, uh, kind and generous people. Uh, so we've been very for- fortunate in that area. Okay. I think what also changed, and probably we can take like advantage of that, is that because we are now all... On one side, like from work, yeah, we cannot do the activities... Uh, live with, with people, with, with students. But I think what we can uh, take advantage of this um, problem around the world or this, this virus is that everyone is um, 
inside the house, and now they want to get out. Um, okay. So normally we have nature yeah. all around, and people don't go out and explore. So I think that's something that we can take advantage now that when they can get out of their houses uh, to go and explore and maybe value more uh, nature. Because mm -hmm. we have the ocean in Valdivia where we live, we have the ocean 15 or 20 minutes from, from home. And just uh, go out and just explore. So when people go to the lab, they get very fascinated about the animals, but the animals are always there, just <laughs> on your side. So maybe we can uh, see the positive side of this um, uh, human problem to be inside, to then uh, make the most of the time outside. Yeah, it's a little bit of human nature, right? Once we're told we can't do something, we want to do it. So <laughs> hopefully we will be able to remember this feeling of um, not being able to go and do things outside like we once could. And then that will spark the interest in going out and taking advantage of it. Yeah. So... Um, do you have a vision that you'd like to share for young school or young kids in schools? Well, definitely. My vision for schools is that uh, environmental education has to be part of the curriculum. And last year here in Chile, there was talk about that happening, uh, which, uh, which we hope it will happen. And so that's for schools, that environmental education should be part of the curriculum. And I'm a strong believer that um, young people should be given the opportunity to be um, educated in nature through engaging hands-on experiential activities. So I think a lot of the curriculum, at least here in, in Chile, is based on, on content learning. And there is a lot of content that needs to be learned. And, and kids often don't really learn the content because they're memorizing and studying for tests. And it's a very competitive uh, academic world and I think we have to go back to nature especially mm -hmm. now that we've been indoors so much and uh, and uh, and take learning into more um, experiential hands-on activities that actually generate real uh, learning and this will come hand in hand with protecting our environment um, so I think we need to we need to go back to that and many schools are doing this um, around the world uh, but here, uh, the curriculum, after I noticed this because I worked in Australia where, where education was more hands-based, uh, hand hands-on and experiential. And here, it's also meant to be like that, but it's actually a lot of, there's a lot of content. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to look at the books and you realize what children are expected to, to <laughs> learn, it's a lot of information. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not that practical. So I think we need to go back to, to what's important. That's good. And it sounds like a lot of what you're saying is go back to the problem-based learning or the project-based learning. Yes. And, and even STEM, because a lot of those cross-curricular ties really just lend themselves to this uh, environmental education because that's a big part of our world and a lot of the things that we talk about in politics right now, even. So, yeah. Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. So as we're finishing up, what are your calls to action? 
it's hard to explain in English. <laughs> but, um, I would say to just in general to people to go out and explore. There's mm -hmm. so much to see, so much to to learn, to understand uh, our world around, and um, and there's so much to discover yet, and. Maybe school students think that everything is discovered already, but there's so much to discover, and especially in the ocean. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you have access to the ocean, man, that is just a whole new world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, my call to action is similar. It's, it's get outside, go outdoors, go into nature, mm -hmm. get involved, get things done, um, um, but do this um, with kindness, with respect, mm. uh, with gratefulness, and with humility. Mm -hmm. um, I like that um, that piece that you added with the kindness and respect. And one thing uh -huh. that I've learned and noticed as I've gone diving with Fred and you know on my own is how respectful, or even more respectful, I feel that divers are of the environment. Um, where I just noticed where they would pick up trash and plastic and things in the ocean as they're diving, which you don't necessarily see people doing that in the world when they're on a walk or on a hike. And I just, um, that's something that's always stuck with me. And so I like that piece about respecting and being kind um, to the environment and of course to people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Go on. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. We do want to see if you care to share any of your personal social networks or if you have um, social network accounts for your, you know, your nonprofit or your um, your classrooms that you would like to share that people could maybe connect with you on. You did share the Facebook uh, page with us, but if you have anything else, what would those be? Sure. No, that would be great. We have got Facebook, the Fundación, our foundation has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And it would be great if you could help us to um, to spread um, spread our our news and uh, and when we we we're hoping to do a, some sort of crowdfunding campaign at some stage when great. we have time to put it together. And so that that's the kind of media that we use to let people know yeah. how can they can help us. Yeah, because one of the things that that we often <clears throat> find is through these through these podcasts is that um, a lot of the people that that come on here are actually looking to partner with others, and so. Hopefully, we can create some momentum where where there's um, cross cross cultural cross cultural learning. Also, that would be great. Yeah, there's awesome. certainly a good connection across topics with all of our guests, and then also our listeners. To most of our listeners, are te current teachers or future teachers, and uh, so they're always looking for ways to connect with people to bring in these types of ideas into their classrooms. So. Wonderful, thank you. And then since you guys are so close to Antarctica, maybe we could take a trip there so I could go see another continent. <laughs> That's great. The world is our oyster. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I love that. Great. Well, ladies, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for your work and your dedication to uh, educating kids and adults and just to the... Thank you, thank you for inviting us.
Yeah, thank you for the invitation. And thank I know you invited Carla, and then Carla invited me. So thank you, and thank you, Carla. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the more, the merrier. That's right. If you would like to follow these ladies on Instagram, Twitter, or find them on Facebook, they can be found at Ocean, O-S-F-E-R-A-C-L, and that is Ocean Sofera, C-L, and that's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.